Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. This week, we're listening back to some favorite interviews. Next up is Gregory Porter in 2018. He's a Grammy Award-nominated jazz singer. He sold a bunch of albums, and the route that he took to his singing career is unique. He was an offensive lineman in college. Then, during his junior year, an injury ended his football career. He knew he could sing, but he wasn't a singer. He hadn't really pursued it professionally. And that changed when his mom, literally from her deathbed, told him to start singing. He moved to New York with his brother and recorded 2010's Water, his debut album. And that's the other unique thing about his career. Whereas most young jazz singers start out recording standards, Porter recorded an album of mostly originals. Like this song, Magic Cup. I just can't stop thinking about you. All day long I can't do without you. You give me youth and taste of truth cause you're my magic Every day and every way cause you're my magic You are a good time, make me feel nice. You are a perfect fix in the morning with sugar and spice. You give me insight into my mind. Looking into your black mirror before I pour you inside. Porter has also done standards, like on 2017's Nat King Cole and Me. Smile, though your heart is aching. Smile, even though it's breaking. When there are clouds. In the sky, you'll get by If you smile through your fears and sorrow Smile and maybe tomorrow You'll see the sun come shining through These days, he's got a new album, All Rise, is a return to form for him, another compilation of originals. Let's take a listen to a single off of it called Revival. Gregory Porter, I am so happy to have you on Bullseye. Thank you so much for coming in here. A real pleasure to be here, man. Thank you. So you're in town from Bakersfield, where you live. Yeah. And you you know, you know, lived in Los Angeles when you were a young kid, but you kind of grew up in Bakersfield. Yeah, that's correct. I've spent a little bit of time in Bakersfield lately because it's in between here and I have a cabin in the Sequoia. So okay. I stop in Bakersfield. Yeah. Get some ice cream at the Doors Candy Shop. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now you're talking. But what's up with Bakersfield? Like for people who just think maybe like Buck Owens or something. Right. Or an oil derrick. (laughs) Right. And those things are like very important in Bakersfield. It's an agriculture community. It's, um, It's a small community, yet it's, you know, 
it's over 400,000, and it's quite spread out now. There's a lot of new construction where the cotton fields used to be. My mother used to pick cotton when she was a little girl there in, in Bakersfield. But Bakersfield is, is um, I feel like it's a city in change racially and, and politically. But it is a, uh, a fascinating place. I just moved back there after, you know, 20 years, and I've been there for, for a couple of years now. And I'm re- rediscovering a place that, that I was raised in. Um, so I'm still trying to, to figure out what it is. But in the meantime, in figuring out what it is, there's some uh, extraordinary Mexican food, <laughs> which is, you know, in every corner, and I love that. And, um, uh, but it is still an agriculture-based uh, Agriculture and oil is enormously important there. And uh, and it's, you know, a lot of working class people. The feeling of Bakersfield is, you know, you're, you're not very far from Los Angeles. You know, yeah. It's an hour, hour and a half away. Yeah. And it's a big city of 400,000 people, as you said. Yeah. You are not surprised when you are there that it was, you know, the birthplace of a, a whole subgenre of country and Western music because it is, it's hot, yeah. the streets are wide, yeah. and you can see a long way. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. it has that open, dusty feeling. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. It is a thing. It's a transplantation of the South. It, it is. And uh, the, the people that gravitated there, um, the, uh, the agriculture that was uh, uh, found root there, uh, a lot of the people. Because it's the start of, this, of the Central Valley, essentially, the, yeah. of California, yeah. where, you know, whatever it is, 45% of the produce in the United States is grown. Yeah, yeah. And, and so the black, the black population that came, they came for work. Um, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas. There was, you know, the migration that, that, that from the south that went uh, to the north and went to uh, Chicago and uh, Detroit. Uh, but there was also that group of the family that came uh, that from Louisiana, Arkansas, Texas, you know, Mississippi, that came west. And uh, Bakersfield was one of the places that they settled because there was agriculture work. The, the interesting thing for me is I caught the last bit of the black uh, migrant workers, uh, black field workers, uh, who who uh, who pitched watermelons, and who cut watermelons, uh, who picked fruit, that doesn't exist anymore. Really, that population, and they had songs, they had culture, and I met those guys. My mother had a, uh, a essentially a rooming house uh, where those guys stayed, um, and I I hung out with them, and they were characters: Frenchie, Alleyoop, Skullcat, Chief. And they were all these interesting characters, but they worked the fruit. They worked, they pitched watermelons. They don't even, I don't even know if they harvest the fruit like that anymore. But, but it was a line of men who, who pitched the fruit. <laughs> Your mom was a minister, a preacher, both in Los Angeles when you were young and when you were a little older and a teenager in Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. What kind of church did she preach in? 
it's Church of God in Christ, uh, which is it's an offshoot of, uh, uh, you know, it's a holiness, uh, a Pentecostal, you know. For her, what was important was going directly to the people. She was a, a street minister, and her establishments were always called missions because, she, first of all, she had a mission, and she wanted her places of worship to be a place where people could come in any condition. So, consequently, we all, all of uh, the, the, the houses of worship that we had were storefront churches. They were, uh, and what I mean by that was like not a purpose-built church. It's this was this was maybe a, I think the the first one we had on Lakeview Avenue in Bakersfield was uh, a cafe converted into. A church, you know, we built an altar and uh, put a big air conditioner in there, and there we go. There, put some chairs. That's the church. Um, I imagine your family must have been central to a church, given how big it was. Yeah, it must have been <laughs> your brothers and sisters and your mom. You know, we started set, setting up the concession stand. You, and you, I mean, you passing out the collection plates and. You already start off with a congregation, you know. You got eight kids, <laughs> and that's your. Con- you already got a choir, you know. And um, I imagine you also though ha- already have somebody to sweep up afterwards, and yeah, absolutely, everybody pitches in. We were her work. We were her her crew. It was you know it was a family, it was a family thing, and we we didn't realize it, it was like okay, a church is the family business, real estate is the family business, singing is the family business. You know, but you don't do it. It's just like oh, this is what we grew up doing, and um, but. She had a, a a conviction on her life, and we kind of all had to follow. And we, we thought it was normal until we realized, okay, nobody else really picks up homeless people off the streets and take them home like we did. I remember my friends coming over sometimes, and, and we're like, who's that man? And it's like, this is a, you know, my mother would, would have projects. She would, she, would, she would redeem, try to redeem people. She would meet people, and if they seemed like a like like a good people that just had fallen down for some reason, they were coming to the house, and my mother was going to clean them up, was going to you know give them good food, was going to get them physically and mentally try to get them back on their feet, and and uh, there was so many uh, of those episodes, and so from that comes a song from me called you know take me to the alley. The alley is a is a real street in Bakersfield. It's Lakeview Avenue, a Cottonwood Road. The road is what they used to call it. That's where she she started her her ministry in a way. It was the worst street. It was the street that had the most problems, the most drugs, the most people stumbling around in, in the days of life. And she would go to those people. Those are the first people that I sang to. I'm I'm you know, you know, Royal Albert Hall and Hollywood Bowl is is amazing. But really, the first people that confirmed me were people that had a bottle of, of wine in their hand, Thunderbird, Night Train. And they confirmed me by saying, yeah, baby, you got something, you know. <laughs> and and that and funny thing is, is it meant something to me then, uh, singing to them out on uh, the street corner. And it's, it sounds like a romantic made-up story but that you know yeah that's what that's what we she's like let's we would have a church service outdoors on the sidewalk she wanted to be where the people were take me to the alley yeah well, let's hear that song take me to the alley 
Take me to the afflicted ones Take me to the lonely ones That somehow lost their way Let them hear me say I am your friend Come to my table Rest here in my garden You will have a pardon You went to college on a football scholarship. Yeah. Um, and got hurt almost right away yeah and couldn't play football anymore yeah did you at the time that you got hurt did you think of yourself as a football player like was that the top thing in your identity yeah yeah that's um the self-identity especially when you're on a college campus uh you know <laughs> especially at san diego state you plopped onto a campus with thirty thousand students and um you know, who are you and what are you? They're, they're, yeah, that was my identity. I walked around with, you know, with Aztec gear and, you know, th things that that signified I was I was on the team. And um, and there was no mis... I mean, <laughs> you're a big man sitting in front of me right now. <laughs> like, yeah. I think, you, I imagine you cut a figure. Yeah. You're a lineman, that's yeah. what I'm saying. You're, yeah, yeah. We're not talking about a little tailback here. <laughs> Yeah, this this uh, this was my uh, this was my identity, and uh, but the funny thing is is I think everything happens for a reason. Uh, I, I injured my 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 shoulder early in my athletic career in college, and so you're left without that self identity. I mean, I couldn't run without my shoulder shaking around in its socket. So I was like, you know, and after, you know. Uh, months and months of therapy it didn't get any better and then I, you know I was like okay so I'm not an athlete anymore what is my identity and I went right back to this is yes I was a I was a I was a student but this, this what's the extra thing what's the what's the other thing you know and I went back to my first love my original love the one the thing that was really always there through throughout anything and that was uh that was music and I started to immerse myself in that and uh immerse myself in the music of 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 Nat King Cole. Um, I went to the the music listening library at uh, San Diego State and I just checked out just a stack of of Nat's records. And I and I listened and I re-listened and it it brought me back to my childhood, it brought me back to to my mother, the environment of my home as a, as a child and um it was it was really something um, self-medicating with music because at the same time I had injured myself I had found that my mother uh, was uh, dying of, of breast cancer that had spread throughout her body and and so I needed some some pick me up I needed some smile I needed some you know pretend you're happy when you're blue I needed these these songs uh, powerful encouragement and even escapism i needed it and uh, and i and i found it in, in nat's music again <laughs> i mean to me the incredible thing about nat king cole's records is you know he's 
so profoundly elegant mm -hmm. as a, as a musician, mm -hmm. as a man as well. I mean, a gorgeous guy. Yeah, yeah. But a, a man for whom, you know, his career as a black entertainer who was working in uh, the you know broad pop music world in the early 1950s. You know, he was very unusual in that. Mm -hmm. His manner is characterized by a kind of forbearance. You know, like all of those, all of those slings and arrows are translated into a feeling of like, no matter what, I am transcendent. It's something that is like awe-inspiring about him. Yeah. You know, it's also, I think for a lot of people, it's the thing that they least connect with about him because they wish he was mad about it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Nat, for me, you know, people talk about, hey, well, I don't, did he, was he expressing himself uh, in a, uh, in a way that it, it advanced uh, you know, black people, you know, you can, you could say that just by checking out some of the things that he, uh, you know, how forceful was he? Was he on the front lines of, in, in, in marching? Just his being there, his eloquence, his genius. Nat, this is the thing. Nat knew exactly who he was. He was the darkest of dark. He knew he, exactly who he was, and he knew he was, you know, there was a perception of the perceived threat in his blackness. But he took it, and he graced it so beautifully. And even it, hit, it even affected some of the songs that he chose to sing. The idea of singing love songs to love, love songs to humanity. Uh, universal love, smile, nature boy, pick yourself up. This type of song, in a way, is is uniquely connected to him because they're love songs to love and to life. And that's profoundly affected me. But in a way, it was a thing that he, in some, in some way, had to do because, you know, swooning after Nat King Cole was not a popular thing for you know many parents and many people's minds at the time you know in some ways i called him the the you know original barack obama because he he knew who he was and he knew how he had to uh you know traverse this world and he knew he had to do it with grace and he did and he still got his message across now i think about you know, people think about his his lyrics and was like, oh, he's, you know, he's in the sky and he's he's, you know, it's just so, you know, milk toast and sweet. But think about a song like "Pick Yourself Up," "Dust Yourself Off," and "Start All Over Again." Think about that song for somebody who had been pushed down, who had been mistreated, who had been punched or kicked or bitten in the civil rights struggle. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, start all over again means something totally different to them. Totally different. It means something totally different to my mother. 
smile though your heart is aching means something totally different to her. You know, uh, to to the people that are under underneath, to the people who have been pushed down, many of Nat's songs mean something totally different. It's encouragement. It's optimism. And um, so when we talk about his contribution to people that are on the underneath, you absolutely have to consider these these lyrics that I hear now and that, that still fortify people. You have to think of that. Um, so he had a he had a great great contribution. You know, the first uh, first black man to have his own television show, and and uh, you know just the experiment of that <laughs> was really something extraordinary for uh, if you know for an American culture that that wasn't uh, wasn't so open to that. Yeah. Well, let's hear my guest Gregory Porter singing "Pick Yourself Up." His most recent record is called "Nat King Cole and Me." Pick yourself up Take a deep breath Dust yourself off Start all over again Nothing's impossible I have found For when my chin is on the ground I pick myself up Dust myself off And start all over again Even more with Gregory Porter. Don't go anywhere. After a short break, his voice gets compared to Bill Withers pretty frequently. He'll tell me what he thinks about that. This show is Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Mission Control, this is Rocket Ship One. Come in, Mission Control. This is Mission Control. Go ahead. We have incoming, and it looks big. Can you identify? It looks like some sort of pledge drive. Affirmative. It's Max Fun Drive. That's a verified Max Fun Drive. Countdown to Max Fun Drive is initiated. Can you project a time to intercept? Based on the current trajectory, Max Fun Drive will be here from March 16 to March 27. March 16 to March 27. Roger. Rocket Ship One, can you confirm a visual on common Max Fun Drive phenomena, such as the best episodes of the year, bonus content, and special gifts for new and upgrading monthly members? We have a visual. Great episodes, bonus content, premium gifts confirmed, and more. It sure sounds quiet down there. Mission Control, what's your status? All systems go, Rocket Ship One. Just catching up on our favorite Max Fun shows so we can tune into Max Fun Drive episodes between March 16 and March 27. Over and out. <laughs> on a secret military recording, a sound so haunting, one scientist believed it could change the world. My mind was racing as I listened to this, and I thought, this. This is the way. Join NPR's Invisibilia for the first episode of our new season. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest, Gregory Porter, is one of the best-selling jazz singers alive today. He's also a prolific songwriter. He has a new album coming out later this spring called All Rise. Here's another track from it. It's called If Love is Overrated. If love is overrated let me be the one that is naive If love is overrated Let me be the one that is deceived Let me find that your hands that are touching me Is not the hand they're supposed to be 
your lips an illusion Let me be the only fool for your embrace Let me fall upon my face I like this strange illusion I hear you often compared to Bill Withers. You know, Bill Withers is, you know, maybe my favorite ever. <laughs> yeah. Any, I'm anything. always like, be careful with those comparisons. So, I, you know, I'm a child and that's, a, you know, that's, I'm, that's, that's the grandpa, you know. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to him a couple of times. Yeah. And he's a, you know, he's a brilliant, brilliant man in general, not just musically. Yeah. And one of the things that I think ties your art and his is that both of you were men when you in earnest kicked off your careers yeah. you know bill withers had sung in the navy but he was a he was a career in the navy yeah you know he didn't he didn't put out his first record till he was about 30 yeah you were in your late 30s when you put out yeah. your first record yeah and that is a very different perspective on the world than the perspective of, you know, even even when it's about falling in love, it's about a different kind of falling in love than when you're 16. Yeah, yeah. No offense to when you're 16, that's also great. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know what to say when I was 16 and 17 and 18. I think, you know, having a, a life seasoning and, and, and ups and downs can... Uh, can inform your your art now there's some power and energy you know youth can give uh, to music but there's also some power and energy and wisdom that uh, a life experience can can bring to music i hear it uh, in in bill withers music and sometimes when i divorce myself from myself and i hear my music on a radio show or or when somebody else is explaining it to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. There is a depth that, uh, you know, has a little bit, you know, than what you might hear from a from a 17-year-old. You know, the world of music consists of ears that are 9 years old and that are 90 years old. And so we got to have something for, for everybody and for every life experience. And the, the ups and downs of love. All love is not this love that you experience at 22 and that's a great love. But, you know, when you're 22, you think you know it all. And then you become 32 and you're like, wow, I knew nothing when I was 22. And then when you're 42, you're like, wow, I knew nothing when I was 32 and when I was 22. You know what I'm saying? So I think <laughs> the music has to grow as well. And, uh, yeah, I think life experience and going through the ups and downs of all of it. Racism has informed my music. Uh mistreatment, discrimination, the ups and downs of love, being dumped can inform the music. Um, success can inform the music. Um, you know, feeling, having a, a, a triumph, whatever in whatever field can find its way into the music. Beauty, nature, you know, just having visited many beautiful vistas that can can be something you can sing about or or even secretly put into the music it's, and it doesn't even you're not even speaking of beautiful sunrises but the inspiration is in the music that's all you know yeah well gregory port i'm so grateful to you that you came in and took all this time to be on the show i'm grateful to you for 
you in your cocktail cuffs, <laughs> tolerating the fact that I'm here in sandals, sports sandals, no less. It's hot outside in Los Angeles. Got on a nice scarf. You're accessorized in here. Yeah, no, it's it's nice, man. You know, I had my concert last night, so that's all I have is concert <laughs> clothes. So this is what you get, maybe. Well, thank you very much, Gregory. Yeah, thank you. Real pleasure. It's for the way you look at me Oh, it's for the only one I see V is very, very extraordinary E is even more than anyone that you adore can love Gregory Porter. Watch for his album All Rise. It's coming out next month. Now is a perfect time to get acquainted with his earlier albums, uh, one that's particularly wonderful is 2016's Take Me to the Alley. Don't break it, love was made for me and you. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters, overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where firefighters came and shot their hoses into the lake. Uh, from their big, tall ladders. I guess MacArthur Park is the ideal venue for big, tall ladder hose spraying exercise. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellow is Jordan Cowling. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. And one last thing. We have done many, many, many interviews in the show's nearly two decades. If you're a jazz fan, why not check out our interview with Kamasi Washington or our conversation with Tyrus Martin? We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. You can keep up with the show there. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.